So Matthew 1, 18-25, the title of my sermon, God with us. The big idea, the good news of Christmas is God with us. I, I think I've shared this story before. I don't know if I have, but I think I have. Um, I think it makes the point, so I'm going to share it again. So years ago, when I was in Washington, uh, I had the unique privilege of leading consecutive mission trips to Albania. Al- Albania is less than 1% Christian, and uh, a good friend of ours in the church, he, he'd grown up in the church in Washington, he went to Master's Seminary, and then him and his wife went to Albania as lifers to spread the gospel and plant churches. And so I got to take a group of high school and college students every summer to Albania to work with them. They put on these massive Christian camps for high school students and middle school students. We saw a lot of kids saved and then plugged into their local church. And every year we'd come back and we see kids that had made professions of faith growing in the Lord. It was sweet. It was so sweet. The first year I went, uh, Haley came with me. We had a great time. The second year I went, uh, Haley had just had Clark, and so she couldn't come. I'm a homebody, if you don't know me. Um, I, I hate being away from my family, my wife and kids. And so after two weeks of being in Albania, I was ready to get home. And so if you've ever traveled internationally, sometimes things happen, right? Luggage is lost. That happened on one of those trips. Well, coming back, we were made aware. I think we went from Albania to Rome and then Rome to Jersey. And when we landed stateside, we were told, hey, listen, your connecting flight leaves in like 45 minutes. We had to go through customs. We're panicking. I got like 25 kids I'm responsible for, and I want to get home. I, I want to see my wife and my new baby boy. And so, I mean, when I'm committed to something, it's going to happen. We're going to make this work. And so I, I kind of rallied the kids. I said, guys, listen, we got to hustle. No stopping. Get your luggage. Let's get through customs. Let's get to our gate. Okay. Yeah, we got it. Good. So guess who out of all these kids and a couple of helper adults was randomly checked? I was. It pulled me. I said, guys, listen, I understand you're doing your job, but I'm responsible for these kids. We got to get home. Sorry, sir. This is protocol. And so they pulled me out and they did a random search. And I told one of our leaders, I said, listen, Robert, I said, you got to get the kids. Once they get through, just run to the gate. Run like a wild man, okay? Like your hair's on fire, just get there. So they they do the search. I'm done. I get my bag, and literally I put it over my head, and I'm running like Tom Cruise in movies. I mean, it's just, do you guys notice that? I mean, I'm just flying. And people are like, what is wrong with this guy? I'm just running through the airport trying to get to the next gate, but I have to go through security again. And I just said, listen, I got loud. I said, hey, guys, listen, I got a group of kids I'm responsible for on a mission trip. Can I just cut through? And yeah, sure, sure. And then I get to this group of college guys. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, I got it. We're late, too. Well, then let's go. Let's go. And okay. And so they asked, too, can we move ahead? And so we get to the front of the line. We get checked out. Bag above my head once more. It's like that final straightaway. And I'm just sprinting. I'm sweating so bad. I smell. I haven't, you know. I'll tell you this, in Albania, we got one shower in two weeks. So I smelled amazing, all right? And so I did like the, the baby white bass. That's fine, right? Anyways, sprinting, I get to the gate, I see the kids, like, guys, I made it, and they're cracking up. I said, yeah, they just came over and said, we have an hour now. <laughs> okay. 
I was, I was relieved, but also angered. Uh, I'm like, Robert, you could have texted me. I could have pulled something. Anyways, why, why did I do that? Because I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to get back to my wife and my son, Clark. The story of Christmas is the story of God's great rescue mission, and it details the great links that God would go to to get us back, to be with us again. He would send his son to die for humanity, to deal with our sin at the cross so that we could be together again. So Christmas is the story of God's great love. And the result of that love, which is the sending of the Son, for God to be with us again. Amen? Well, there's much, again, if, if you heard the passage read, there is much, much in our text that grabs the reader's attention it's meant to. Okay? A lot of significant things are said in our passage. For example, we have the mention of the birth of Jesus Christ. And last week, if you were here, we unpacked the significance of that title. Christ means anointed one. It was the promise of the coming king who would put things right and rule over God's people and save the day. And that's mentioned out the gate. We also have the mention of the activity of the Holy Spirit. We have the mention of the presence of the angel of the Lord and the angel's announcement in verse 22 or verse 21 concerning the role of Jesus. He will save his people from there. Whoa, that's big. And then we have the language of fulfillment in verse 22. We have a quotation, an Old Testament quotation from Isaiah 7.14, which promises that in some way this child to be born is going to be God with us. God with us. This is massive. Here we have announced the foundation stone of the good news. So if we know the gospel, right, the Savior came, Jesus, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And God's church said, amen. But let us not forget that this Savior who lived and died and rose again was and is God. The the death of a mere man wouldn't do. He would have to be fully God as well. So our passage announces the birth of of Jesus, the God-man who came to die so that God could be with us and us with him once again. Now, what do all these things mentioned have in common? Our passage, and I mentioned this last week, okay, the, 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 the dominant movement in Scripture, the, the major impetus moving the story of salvation forward is this beautiful movement from promise to fulfillment. And so in the Old Testament, we have promise, and then we come to the Gospels, and we see, we see fulfillment. So our passage, what we just had read, is filled with Old Testament language surrounding the coming of God's promised mission, his rescue mission, and the one through whom he would accomplish this mission, the Christ, the King. So again, you heard the mention of the Holy Spirit, you heard the mention of the Christ, you heard the mention of the angel of the Lord. Now that's important because if you're a Jew and you're thinking about God's great rescue mission, you're going to look back and think about the what? The Exodus and who was instrumental, who was appearing time and time again during the Exodus. We've been there recently, the angel of the Lord. And here the angel of the Lord shows up. 
This is exciting stuff. This is celebration-worthy good news. And I want us to focus on a few things here. Christmas promises many wonderful things, and we celebrate these things as followers of of Jesus, but I hope we don't just celebrate them once a year. I hope we don't just celebrate the King once a year, in the, the work of the Spirit once a year, in the good news of God with us once a year. But as Christians, we celebrate these things whenever we gather. It's true? So what does Christmas promise? There's three things I want to look at this morning from our passage. What does Christmas promise? Number one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And that's verse 18 and verse 20. Verse 18 reads, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, and this is the angel speaking, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the the Holy Spirit. So Christmas promises the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the Spirit's saving activity, His saving role, when we celebrate Christmas. Now, the mention of the Holy Spirit brings to light, it should, numerous, numerous Old Testament passages concerning God's future saving role. So again, if you think of what is God going to do in the future, who's going to be active? Who's going to be at work? Who's going to be present? The Holy Spirit. It's a powerful indicator that the time of salvation had indeed arrived. The Holy Spirit's presence in Matthew 1 declares the time of rescue is, it's now. It's now. The mention of the Holy Spirit, it drives the narrative forward. We're saying, okay, God is at work. God is doing something. And there's three things here that I want to highlight. The Spirit's role. What the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit proclaims at Christmas time. Number one, Christmas is a time to celebrate new creation. New creation. Christmas promises new creation. And we celebrate that today and as believers, hopefully every day. The same spirit that was at work during the old creation, and what do I mean by that, the old creation? Genesis 1 and 2, right? Who was present when God created? Genesis 1 2 says, The earth was tohu vabohu. That's Hebrew. It was formless and without void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And here it is. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So in the Genesis passage, we see that the Spirit is at work bringing order to disorder, beauty to chaos. And in the Christmas story, the same Spirit comes once again into the world to bring order to the disorder caused by sin and beauty to the chaos resulting from the fall. The presence of the Spirit declares the time of new creation. Isaiah 32, if you've read Isaiah, a major theme in Isaiah is new creation. There's going to be a time of new creation. There's going to be a time of refreshing. There's going to be a time of peace in healing. Isaiah 32, 15 to 16. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. Tom Schreiner, who was here pretty recently, he wrote, he wrote, uh, he wrote, he wrote, 
he has written. The coming of the Spirit signals the fulfillment of all of God's saving promises. So again, if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at God's promise of salvation, who is always there? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Number two, Christmas is a time to celebrate the new king. How would we know the king had come? What would be the sign? What would mark him out? We talked about this last week quite a bit. So again, Christmas promises a new king. It's all about the announcement that the king is coming. And we celebrate that king today and every day. The Spirit's role in the birth of Jesus takes us back to Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 61. How would God's people know that the king had come? What would be the sign? Let me just quickly read these passages. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice. What's that word? Mishpat. It refers to God's divine rule, his divine order, his saving rule to the nations. All right, so how are we going to know the king when he comes? He's going to have the, who's going to be upon him? The spirit. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So again, the presence of the Spirit declares the presence of the new king. And if you fast forward to Matthew 3 at Jesus' baptism, who descends upon Jesus at his baptism in the form of a dove? The Spirit, thus announcing that the king has come. Um, You don't have to raise your hand, but I dare you to. It'd be fun. Who has ever been on a blind date? Good. Good for you. All right. Um, I think today in our internet age with social media, it's probably impossible to have a blind date. You can find anybody, right? I'll just get on Facebook and find out what they look like. But imagine you're on a blind date, and your best friend, who's a very godly brother, so guys, I'm talking to you, very godly brother, sets this and goes, hey man, listen, I know this girl, she loves the Lord. Check. That's big, right? She's beautiful. Check. Sweet. Bonus. That's great. She has a heart for missions. She loves the Bible. I went to Bible college with her. Man, she's the sweetest girl, very kind. Oh, man, this is great. She's going to meet you at Texas Roadhouse. Even better, right? And so here's the description. When she gets there, she's going to have, she has red hair, green eyes. Okay, that stands out. She's about 5'7", and she's going to have on a blue sweater. So the day arrives, the day of the big date, you walk in, you smell the butter, it's already a good day, right? The rolls. And maybe you're distracted like me. Why am I even here? To eat rolls. No, that's not why I'm here. So you walk in, okay, guys, and you look across, and you see a gal, about 5'7", red hair, green eyes, blue sweater, and you think, that's the one. Okay, so, Jesus' baptism, he's in the water, spirit comes down, that's the one. That's the, that's the king. The king has come. Number three. So again, the mention of the Spirit in the Christmas story moves us to celebrate three things. Number one, Christmas is a time to celebrate 
new creation. Number two, Christmas is a time to celebrate the new king because the Spirit marks the new king. Amen? And number three, Christmas is a time to celebrate our new identity. If you are listening carefully in verse 21, Christmas promises a new identity, a forgiven people. And we celebrate that good news, we celebrate that new identity every day. Yeah, Christmas, I mean, the Savior came. Jesus came to forgive our sins. But we don't just celebrate that once a year, we celebrate that all the time. The same Spirit that had come to bring order to disorder, new creation, and had come to anoint and empower the new king, had also come to fill God's new creation people, the church, marking them out as God's people. Ephesians 1.13, in him, Paul says, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In sum, let me summarize this. Christmas promises new creation inaugurated by the Holy Spirit. A new king anointed by the Holy Spirit and a new people with new identities marked and filled by the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the Spirit's work at Christmas and how often? Every day. (laughs) All right, that's point number one. What else does Christmas promise? Number two, point number two, God's faithfulness to save. Christmas promises God's faithfulness to save. I talked about this last week. I, I talked about apologetics. And if you're, if you're familiar with apologetics, uh, it refers to a defense of the faith. A defense. If you're doing apologetics, you're defending something. Okay? And I would say all of the Gospels are apologetic in nature, but none more so than Matthew. Matthew is defending the Christian faith by showing his primarily Jewish audience that all of God's promises find their fulfillment in who? In Jesus. Therefore, Jesus can be trusted and the Scriptures can be trusted. Again, Christmas promises God's solution to the problem of sin and evil in our world. Christmas promises God's faithfulness to put things right, specifically humanity, right with God. So Christmas is a time to celebrate God's faithfulness to save. Verse 22 in our passage grounds our trust in God. It reads, all this took place to fulfill. Anytime you see that word in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, circle it. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Those are incredible words. Fulfillment declares God's faithfulness. Amen? Because again, what does Christmas promise? God's faithfulness to save. Now, there are numerous promises, prophecies surrounding the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Savior, and God's promise to rescue And those things are being brought to fulfillment as seen in our passage. God is faithful. I want to look at five things here. Five examples of this as seen in our passage. And and I put this in your notes. Pointers in our passage to God's faithfulness. There are five pointers in our passage 
to God's faithfulness. Number one, the Christ. The Christ. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Again, Christ is a title. It means anointed one. It's from the Hebrew word for Messiah. It's the promised king, the king to come. God's instrument of rescue. And what we see in Matthew in the prologue, in the beginning, is that the Christ, the promised king, has come. Therefore, God is what? He promised the king. He said he would come multiple times, and he's come, so God is what? He's, he's faithful. And then we have the Spirit, verse 18. Before they came together, she was found, married to be with child, from the Holy Spirit. And again, as mentioned already, the Spirit is associated with the coming of the Christ in the Old Testament, how will you know him? Again, just like the blind date, 5'7", red hair, green eyes, blue sweater, Jesus' baptism, who descends upon him? The Holy Spirit. What was promised in Isaiah 11? I didn't read that one. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 61, you'll know the king because he'll be marked by the, the Spirit. Again, the mention of the Spirit is evidence that God is at work to save. Isn't this exciting? The time of salvation has come, as promised, as indicated by the mention of the Holy Spirit. Number three, so the Christ, the Spirit, salvation. Salvation, verse 21. She'll bear a son. You're going to give him the name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. And we have to understand that this coming king would not come to rescue God's people from the abusive, tyrannical rule of Rome, but from the greater enemy of sin. Amen? That's the greater enemy. The MO of the Messiah Jesus would be to provide salvation from sin. And again, forgiveness of sin is promised throughout the Old Testament in relation to God's coming rescue. When the king comes, when God's rescue breaks onto the scene, what's going to happen? Forgiveness of sin. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. And then Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now, one more thing to notice here. The title Savior. Who is Savior in the Old Testament? Jesus is called Savior, right? He's called Soter, that's the Greek word. But he's called Savior, not just in the writings of Paul, but how is he identified by the angel? He is, he's the Savior. Now, why is that important? Of course we know Jesus is the Savior, but who's the Savior in the Old Testament? Who does that title belong to solely? God. And here it's being given to Jesus which is evidence that Jesus is, say it with me, he's God. He's divine. He is God. Psalm 25, verse 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. <clears throat> Psalm 38, 22. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. All right, so what have we looked at? Christ, the Spirit, salvation, all things promised in the Old Testament, all things we're seeing in our passage, right? God promises. He fulfills. God is. He's faithful. Two more. The angel of the Lord. 
The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in verse 20 to announce God's coming salvation through his son. And this scene recalls Exodus 3, where the angel of the Lord appears to Moses to announce God's coming rescue mission on behalf of his people. And the book of Isaiah speaks of a new exodus, a future rescue. Christmas promises the new exodus. Again, if you're in Luke 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got Peter, James, and John, they're hanging out. Who else shows up? Moses and Elijah. And it says they're speaking about Jesus, and it has the Greek word exodon. They're talking about his exodus. They're talking about the new exodus, the great rescue to come. And again, who was present during the first exodus active? The angel of the Lord, who's active now, announcing good news through Jesus. The angel of the Lord, you put two and two together, the time of new exodus, the time of salvation, the time of rescue has arrived. And the last thing is this, God with us. Oh, that's everything. Matthew clearly sees the virgin birth of Jesus, the Messiah, as the fulfillment of what is promised in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold the virgin. She shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. The earthly kings had failed. God himself would come as king, and through his rule, put things right. Let's read Matthew 1, 23, one more time. This is quoting Isaiah 7, 14. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us. Why is that important? Do you know the Old Testament? So much of the Old Testament looks ahead to the time when God would rule as king over his, his people. God would come back and save the day. We see that in Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52. Isaiah 40, verse 3, if you've read Mark's gospel, this is found in, every, I think, verse 3 of chapter 1. This is quoted. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who shows up? That's the promise. Prepare the way of the Lord. Who was the one preparing the way? Who was the forerunner in the gospels? J.B., John the Baptist, okay? So J.B. is preparing the way for the Lord. But who shows up? It's Jesus. But Isaiah says the Lord's going to come, Yahweh, God. Who shows up? Jesus. When I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, and I love to, you know, a lot of people go to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I don't go there. I go to Mark 1, where he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, and I say, hey, listen, it says that there's going to be a forerunner preparing the way for the Lord. John shows up preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the, he's the Lord. That's what Mark wants us to see. That's what the Bible wants us to see. And then you read Isaiah 52.10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Here's what I want us to see. The Bible says... God is going to come back. He's going to rescue his people. And then, what do we have in Matthew 1? Emmanuel, God with us. 
in baby Jesus, God has finally come back. God promised he'd come. In Jesus he comes. Therefore, God is what? He's faithful. What do we celebrate at Christmas? What is promised? God's faithfulness to save. What's the good news of Christmas? What else does it promise? Number three, last point, God with us. In fact, you could say point number two and point number three are related. God saves us to be with us. God saves us to be with us. Isn't that amazing? That's staggering. God saves us to be with us. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a sign, and they shall call his name Manuel, which means God with us. Christmas promises God with us. We celebrate God with us at Christmas and every day. So Isaiah 7.14 is interesting. The virgin's going to conceive and bear a sign, and they're going to name him Emmanuel. A lot of the early Jews read that promise figuratively. They saw it more as a promise of a future king that God would rule through. More like God's going to be kind of ruling through this king, he's going to be with this king. But that's not what's being promised here. Tim Keller writes, they believed, talking about these Jews, it was predicting the coming of some great leader through whose work, figuratively speaking, God would be present with his people. It would be like God with us? No. It would be God with us. We know better. Amen? Jesus is God with us. This is the good news promised throughout the Old Testament. God becoming king. God making his kingship known. And then God returning to fight the kingly battle on behalf of his people to inaugurate his saving rule. In Jesus, God became man. Let me, let me help you here. I'm going to give you the Bible in two promises. Okay? So when you share the Bible with somebody, there you go. There are two promises in the Old Testament. Two mate. there's more than that, I, I know. But there are two major promises. Maybe you never heard this. I think I've said it a few times, but there's the promise that God is going to come back. We read Isaiah 42. I'm sorry, Isaiah 40, verse 3, Isaiah 52, right? God's going to come back. The Lord's going to come back. He's going to bear his holy army. He's going to fight for his people. He's going to save the day. God's coming back. Everybody say, God is coming back. That's promised in the Old Testament. But then you have a parallel promise. Not only is God coming back, but he's going to send a king. Okay, so God's coming and a king's coming. Which is it? Yes. Because these parallel promises, they intersect eventually in the person of who? Who fulfills these two promises? God coming back and a king coming back. Who is the God king? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I'm going to show you in two places where this is true. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. If you have your Bible, turn there and follow me. Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16. If you want to listen, you can listen. I'll read slow here. But I would argue that these two promises function as the red thread binding God's story of salvation together. They, they hold the story together. God's coming back, a king's coming back. Who is it? Yes, it's God. Uh, it's Jesus. 
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I, I, I. God is saying, I'm going to do this. I'll seek the lost, and I'll bring back the strayed, and I'll bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So again, just some context here. Israel's leaders had failed. They'd failed miserably. And God said, I'm going to come as the chief shepherd to rescue my people and to be with them. Amen. Isn't that a great promise? But then, just go a few verses further, and same chapter in Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24. So again, what was the theme in the first passage? I, I, I. I'm going to gather. I'm going to save. I'm going to be with them. God. God speaking. Okay? Everybody got that? Okay, now we come to Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Wait, what? And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord I have spoken. I'm confused. I, I thought God was going to do all this, and now he's saying he's going to send a shepherd king from the line of David who's going to do it. Which is it? Yes. Because Jesus is God. Those two parallel promises intersect in who? In Jesus. So which is it? Will God come to rescue his people or God's servant king from the line of David? And the answer is yes. Now we see something similar in Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Isaiah 52, 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So God's going to come, he's going to reign, he's going to save his people. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. God's coming back, he's going to save his people. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That's a great promise. How's God going to do that? God says, I'm going to come, I'm going to comfort, I'm going to rescue, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to fight for my people. Yes, amen. But the question hanging in the air is how? Go to the next chapter. <laughs> Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
Isaiah 52 is brought to fulfillment through Isaiah 53. God will establish his saving rule through his suffering servant. So earlier in our passage, Jesus, back in Matthew now, Jesus identified as the promised king, the savior king to come. And then in verse 23, he's identified as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the God king, come to rescue his people. Now get this, God with us not only points to Jesus' divine identity, but further reveals his divine objective or purpose, which is to be with us. The language not only denotes divine proximity, but more importantly, it speaks of relational restoration with God. The gospel is good news. It is the good news of God's saving work to restore humanity back to himself. Amen? He came to bring us back. That's why he came. He came so that we could be with him. But what had to happen in order for us to be with him? It's helpful if you read verse 21 and 23 in Matthew 1 together. What's Matthew 21? The virgin shall... Well, before that, though, what's before that? That's 23. What's, what's 21? His name's going to be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, so he's going to save his people from their sins. What's the goal of that work? What's verse 23 promise? God with us. But in order for God to be with us, what has to be dealt with first? Sin. Jesus came to save us from our sins by dying on the cross in our place so that once more God could be with us. Amen? There's no greater news than this why. With us, everybody say with us, with us, that assumes our position. The good news of Christmas speaks to our rather bleak situation, which is without God. We're born not with God, but without God. God with us is such a big deal because before Christmas we were without God. But Jesus came so that we could be with God, so that God could be with us. Probably my two favorite words are daddy's home. I love that. Man, when I come home from work, I'm often greeted. If the boys are home, they yell. But right now, you know, Sam, daddy home, daddy home. (laughs) What has to happen in order for me to hear those words? Well, it's obvious. Daddy has to come home, right? When I'm not home, I'm not greeted by those words. But when I'm home and I'm with Samantha, my daughter, what do I hear? Daddy home. What has changed? I'm now with her, and that results in those beautiful words, daddy home. Similarly, Christ's coming, and more specifically, his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection have remedied our sinful plight of separation. Now, through trusting in Jesus, God can be with us and us with God. Amen? You know, in the Garden of Eden, what made the garden so sweet? Who walked with Adam and Eve? God. In the garden, God was with Adam and Eve. That was God's creative purpose for his people. He made them to be with them. 
But with us is not the norm anymore because of the fall. The goal of the gospel is for God to be with us. To bring us back into the garden, per se. Back into fellowship with himself. With us assumes the problem that is keeping us away from God, which is what? Sin. The language of with us and what it entails is so big, so magnificent, so joy-filled because before Christ came, we were not with him. For with us to happen, sin must be dealt with. And what does our passage say? Verse 21, he will save his people from their sins. This answers the question of why is God not with us now? Why is God not with us now? Our sin! But God can be with us if we trust in the one who died for our sin. Amen? The promise of Christmas points us right away to the purpose of Christ's coming, his death. And maybe we don't want to think about that. I mean, we're a cute baby in a manger, surrounded by animals. I get that. But why did that baby come? Not to simply lie down his sweet head, but to lay down his life, to die for sinners like us, so that God could be with us. Salvation from sin would be accomplished through Jesus' death. Again, that's announced at the very beginning. He came to save his people from their sins. He came so that God could be with us. But in order for God to be with us, our sin had to be dealt with. And for our sin to be dealt with, Jesus had to die. He had to take our place at the cross and take the punishment that we deserve and satisfy God's holy wrath against an unholy people. Jesus said, I got you. I'm going to die for you. You know, another way to describe the good news of God with us the good news that we celebrate at Christmas is the word peace. What does peace mean? If you go to Luke, Luke 2.14, the angelic host proclaim, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Everybody say peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. Christmas promises relational harmony or peace. Relational harmony between a holy God and an unholy people. But for that to happen... Jesus had to die. In order for our sins to be dealt with, Jesus had to die. I'll talk more about this in two weeks, but do you know how Mark's gospel, I'm sorry, Mark, Matthew's gospel is framed? How is Matthew's gospel framed? It begins with God with us, and then do you recall the Great Commission? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you. Whoa! Okay, so Matthew begins with God with us. It ends with God with us. In order for that to happen, we have to look at the middle of the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus came on mission, and then he sends us out on mission, and we can go knowing he is he's with us. Let's put it all together. Why do we celebrate? In sum, the story of Christmas declares the Spirit's work of new creation, a new king, and a new identity for those who trust in Jesus. Christmas, number two, declares God's faithfulness to save, as seen in God's provision of a Savior, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, the good news of Christmas is who with us? 
God with us, made possible through the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ in our response of trust, faith in Jesus. And those who receive the good news must what? How does the gospel of Matthew end? The commission. Those who receive this good news must tell this good news. I want to end with ACT. A-C-T. I thought this would be a helpful acronym. Three things here, three practice steps that I see in our passage. Number one, A, is accept. You've got to accept the good news of Christmas through repentance and faith. This is good news. Amen? God's promise of a Savior has come in Jesus. God Himself has come to rescue His people. To deal with sin so that God can be with us. All this has happened through Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. But in order to benefit from that good news, you must accept it. You must trust in Jesus and turn from your sin. So accept the good news of Christmas through repentance and faith. See is celebrate. If you've accepted this good news, what do you do with it? You celebrate it. Celebrate with the church the story of Christmas through praise and thanksgiving. Why do we gather? We gather to celebrate. Not just on Christmas, but every time we gather. And then lastly, tell. Accept, celebrate, and tell the story of Christmas to those who are lost. The good news must be told And I recently came across this quote, and I feel like I'm saying it too much, but it's so good, by Carl F.H. Henry. The gospel is not good news unless it gets there on time. And I thought, man, that is so good. That convicts me. The gospel is not good news unless it gets there on time. So tell it. Tell the good news. So accept it, celebrate it, and tell it. Accept it, celebrate it, and tell it. And you can tell it. Why? Who is with us as believers? God is with us. Jesus is with us. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your faithfulness. We look at the Old Testament and we see promise upon promise of a coming king. God, you yourself coming to rescue, to be with your people, to comfort your people, to fight for your people. We see in the Old Testament the promise of forgiveness of sin. We see in the Old Testament the promise that your spirit will come and anoint the king, empower the king for his saving work. And we thank you that when we come to the gospel of Matthew, we see that God, all your promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. That Jesus, you are the fulfillment of promise. You are the king. You are God. You are the savior who died for our sins so that God could be with us and us with God. Father, I pray that we would accept this good news, that we would celebrate this good news, and that we would tell this good news to others. Father, I pray that as we find ourselves over the Christmas break with family that we haven't seen for some time, family that might not know you, that we'd boldly tell them the good news and invite them to leave their sin and trust in Jesus and to follow Jesus, the King. Lord, we love you. We commit this time to you and pray, Holy Spirit, that you would apply the truths that we've heard to our hearts. Change us, Father. Make us more like your Son for your glory and our good. And all God's people said, in the matchless name of Jesus.